the librarian, the warrior, the free spirit. Archetypes are a great jumping off point to help clarify where we want to go with the character. Kristen Higgins. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee S's. We talked about nature and nurture. We've talked about strengths and flaws, tools that we use in our own character design. But there is one tool that helps your audience understand the character because they've seen it before. Today we are talking about archetypes. Archetypes are not cliches. They can be a little cliche, but just like our intro quote said, they are a good starting point. They help both you and the reader know the character before really knowing the character. So let's get into the definition of archetype. It is a recurring symbol or motif in literature, art, or mythology. The word's origin is Greek for original pattern or model. They are basically tropes, but for your characters. We see them used a lot, but all of the cautions that we talked about all throughout February about tropes also apply to archetypes. Use, use with caution, know you're using them, but you have my permission to use them. A lot of people define archetypes by the character's role they play in the hero's journey. That's not always the case. There are many more archetypes than the hero's journey can account for. Sometimes they go hand in hand, but you don't always have to have your mentor be the old wise person, the hermit or the sage or whatever. That that doesn't always have to be the case. Let's dive into psychologist Carl Jung's 12 archetypes. He broke it down into four categories with three archetypes apiece. One category is the providing structure category. You have your ruler, artist, caregiver. The next category is the collection of people who just want to connect with others. That's your everyman, your jester, your lover. Often, if we're talking in the D&D world, your connect with others character is going to be your bard. You also have those who are on a knowledge journey. The innocent character out for more knowledge, the sage, and the explorer. And the last category is the leave a mark category. These are often your outlaws, your magicians, and oftentimes your hero. Now, I have to ask you, as a Harry Potter fan, these four are provide structure, connect with others, knowledge journey, leave a mark. (laughs) Provide structure are your Gryffindors, connect with others are your Hufflepuffs, knowledge journey, those are your Ravenclaws, and leave a mark, those are your Slytherins. Yep. Now, if you want a good resource for this to get a little more in-depth about what the differences are between the sage and the explorer and the everyman and the jester or whatever, there is a great resource at writerswrite.co.za, and they have the 12 common archetypes, and they go into depth about each one. We'll have a link to that on our landing page for this episode at writingrootspodcast.com. So in storytelling, we see a lot of archetypes as well that don't fall into the 12 common ones originally created by Carl Jung. Some of them will overlap in a couple of ways, but these are interesting characters that I see recurring throughout what I read, what I write, what I edit. So I figured we might toss them in as well. 
one of the things I see, especially with the hero characters, are the I'm tough enough to do that. Especially if they're female, they're tough enough to be in the man's world. If you know the actress Michelle Rodriguez, basically every character she plays is, I'm the gal in a man's world and I'm tough enough. Or you can just be Gimli and I'm tough enough to outdrink an elf. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Another common one is the femme fatale. This is your 1940s detective motif. It is the seductress, the tempter, the dangerous if you get involved with this woman, but absolutely irresistible. It literally translates to fatal female. Sometimes it's the person bringing the mystery in the noir. She walks in with her legs up to here, but you know in an instant that she's trouble. That's your femme fatale. You also have the druid, hermit, witch in the woods, your Obi-Wans of the world. They tend to be the mentor. They don't have to be, but they're off in middle of nowhere and somebody has to seek them in order to continue their journey. Oftentimes in your modern day, you will have the conspiracy nut that lives off the grid that has 14,000 cameras pointed in every direction, but your main character needs to hack into the NSA. Therefore, they go to this druid hermit witch in the woods character to help them hack. So they don't have to be a druid in the classic sense or a hermit or a witch in the woods in the classic sense. They could just be a conspiracy theorist, and it's great. All of these archetypes apply across all genres. It's just finding how you can fit it into the particular niche you need it in your story. Another trope with characters that I see a lot is... My favorite and least favorite, all at the same time. <laughs> it's the mother-in-law or the quote-unquote Karen character. I apologize to any listeners out there whose names are Karen, but you know exactly what we're talking about. This is, right now, a pretty large internet meme. You have the Karens with the A-line haircuts, with the heavy highlights, that always want to speak with the manager. They are the, I'm in control, I can never be wrong, customer is always right kind of person. And you see this especially in Regency type stories, where especially if the woman is married to someone with power... She will tell you exactly how to arrange your lace doilies and how far to stand apart and make sure everyone has a chaperone. She knows the rules because she made the rules. Another archetype is the orphan. The loner, the one that had a really rough time growing up, usually on the streets. They've had to learn how to fight for themselves, fend for themselves, and overcome a world that seems to be against them. And the last one's one of my favorites, the town drunk. Or the town fool. Often in Disney, it's a parent. So I'm currently thinking of Beauty and the Beast. And Maurice runs into the bar and goes, I need help. A terrible monstrous beast has taken my daughter. And they're like, well, you're the one saying it. So we're just going to disregard it entirely. Crazy old Maurice. It's always good for a laugh. A lot of YA books these days create their own archetypes. We mentioned a little earlier that Carl Jung's archetypes fell into the Hogwarts houses. That's an entirely new archetype created by J.K. Rowling. You have your brave Gryffindors, your wise Ravenclaws, and you get a really good feel for who that character is just by knowing what house they're in. 
But it's not just the Hogwarts houses. You also have the divergent factions. You have the Pevensies from Chronicles of Narnia that people identify with one of these archetypes. That's another reason to have them is because it gives the readers someone to connect with because it's just vague enough that they can fit themselves into that box as well. Another way to fit your character into an archetype is by the Myers-Briggs personality test. They have 16 different personality types arranged by letters. The first category is E or I. That's extrovert or introvert. The second category is sensor or intuitive. This is about how you ingest information. That's S or N. The next one is thinker or feeler. Do you tend to rely more on logical thoughts and processes or emotions for how you react with the world? And the final category is a P or a J. That's a perceiver or a judger. And that's about how you prefer to live your outside life, not necessarily what's going on in your head. So the reason why we're suggesting these, especially like the personality tests, is knowing what your character is will help you know what decisions your character would make. And knowing how you differ from your character, because it's not always the method acting design because you are different from your character. If you can go, well, I'm an intuitive person, but this person needs physical evidence to make a decision. You can make sure that you as the god of your little world put in this physical evidence to convince your readers that it's a logical decision for them to make. Your characters should not all be carbon copies of you, the author. That makes for a very boring story, and especially if you write more than one story, zero change across the board. Because your characters, if they are all just carbon copies of you, will make the same decisions in any situation. But that's not to say that you aren't part of your character in some way. Every single character I write, including and especially my villains, are a facet of me in some way. They don't all agree. They rarely all even like each other. But they're each a part of myself that I am exploring as I write. That means even if they aren't all fully me, they are fully fleshed characters. Because you know what archetype they are, you can use that as your launching point to get a really good in-depth character that you are familiar with, that you know, that you would know exactly what decisions they would make in the situations you throw them in. Because that's what matters. You need characters that are believable. You need characters that your readers can connect with and understand. If they suddenly make a decision that doesn't make sense to your reader, your reader's not going to agree. They are going to reject the story. And worse, you're popping that fictive bubble and dropping your readers out of the story entirely. So you don't have to write a carbon copy archetype. It doesn't have to be exactly a hero. You can combine some of these elements into one to create a new interesting character. But know what kind of character you're writing as you write. And most importantly, just write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 